HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Hey, my name's Lee, and I'm the chef at 610 Magnolia in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm listening to heritageradionetwork.org. This is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers, by young farmers, coming to you every week on the Heritage Radio Network, and sometimes with better sound quality like today when I'm doing it from the forest. And today on the show is Jason and Jocelyn from Long Hall Farm in Garrison, New York. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you. So we're going to spring right in because many of our listeners are very familiar with our format. Will you just give both of you and each of you in a short version your path into agriculture, the cocktail, the cocktail length version? Yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll go first. So um, I used to be involved in public policy and social change around economic justice issues and was uh, stuck behind a computer um, all of the day and was just dissatisfied and wanted to find a way to live where I'd be happier. And we we um, got into farming after moving down to Argentina for a few years and, and, and learning uh, sustainable farming practices on a small farm. And we moved back uh, to the Hudson Valley to start a small micro farm, and we're five years in on Long Haul Farm. Great, and um, so this is Jocelyn. Great and length, I, great length, Jason. That was perfect. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to beat him. I'll keep it even shorter. <laughs> no, I mean, I had a similar path with him because I, I, I also went to Argentina and learned about farming down there, and we started the farm together. But, but my route really came through health and public health because that's the field I've been interested in, and I really wanted to figure out a way to be productive with my life and constructive with my work and and something that would help the community in healthy ways and also be healthful to the environment and the ecology so i once we started farming i thought this was the perfect way for me to like execute my public health background so it's a lot of left brain coming through here uh... i i can see the evidence of your extensive education could you talk a little bit about um the transition, because 
uh, yeah, the transition in your mental out, mental and and identity outlook as you move from that left brain dominated space of managing information and ideas to managing systems and practices and products on the real landscape and what that felt like personally. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think that. Uh... You know, I, I don't know if it's a personal thing or like most people, you know, often if you are working in a regular office job, you're usually creating kind of intangible products. And so making the shift, you know, for me, I, I've just, I, I'm much happier person when I'm both engaged in physical work uh, and I see the tangible results of, of what I'm doing every day um, versus, you know, kind of always, always in a field of intangible work. And and um, that has just been a very important uh, that's been an important lesson to me and something we try to talk to other people about just this idea that we don't have to be you know we don't have to be forced into doing only one thing in this kind of specialized economy I, I kind of think that most people are more passionate and satisfied when they're able to follow a bunch of different things they love to do and so that that you know farming does that for me and in terms of systems and managing systems it's funny uh, Severin because you know, Jocelyn, my wife, and I started this farm together, and like you know, anybody who starts a farm, we're a real team, and she really is, you know, she really is more of the analytical brain uh, that manages uh, all of our different crop rotations and all of our different kind of uh, planting dates and time, so, so, you know, we make a good team in that sense. So this figuring out the skill sets and and assigning the different roles and kind of sovereignties within a small business is a, a part of it. Can you talk also about the culture in you know you're in Garrison? So for those who don't know, Garrison is where soldiers live. Um, they're close to West Point in a fortified, um, gentrified valley close to New York City, which is the capital of capital. There's a lot of rich people. There's a lot of recreational land use um, and legacy of inequality in terms of the farm ownership in Hudson Valley. It was a feudal landscape. Uh, can we talk about how you explain yourself to your neighbors and maybe how... Um, have you been able to transform their opinion of of what you're doing on that pretty amazing scale? I mean, that's a lot of families you're feeding. Yeah, I mean, as uh, as as you said, it, it is a small, you know. Uh, so that, that's a big, good question. Uh, so let me first say, it is a small micro farm, and that's a big part of our goal uh, in terms of having one acre under cultivation, two or three acres uh, for livestock. Um, and that's a big part of our goal is to show how much food you can grow on a small piece of land that you're planting intensively and sustainably. But just in terms of this community, you know, Garrison's an hour north of the city in the Hudson Valley. Uh, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty affluent community. Uh, really the only reason we are farming back here is because we're farming land that my dad grew up on, and, and he's now 83 living uh, right across the road from us. 
And, you know, that was part of our return to farming was this old model that we've lost a bit in America, which is, you know, multi-generational, being close to your family. We've got two kids. My parents help out with that. We help out looking after them. But it's been, you know, there's a lot of support for farming in this community, uh, and we get a lot of support from our neighbors. But it's a rare it's a rare thing because land here is expensive, but then also, you know, we're interested, and I'm sure Jocelyn will talk to us a bit, we're interested in food as a social justice, um, as an opportunity to promote social justice, and sometimes in this community we run up against kind of an old environmental mentality which looks at kind of environmentalism as mostly preservation, uh, and so we do sometimes bump up against this idea that, um, you know, we're pushing the idea that the food movement can be something that can move social justice forward and can help people without money who are low-income get access to food, and that sometimes creates attention in in the community we're farming in, but we get a lot of community support as well. Yeah, and if I can just... um just throw in there too that in this we in this community there is um, a lot of support for something like organic food and healthy food and knowing your farmer and um, supporting local businesses and so I think that the the farming and food side of things kind of moved in seamlessly here Um, and there's also which even though a lot of land is preserved or used for recreational use or for beautification there also are some initiatives with a couple of the land trusts around here in the counties down south um, to protect farmland. So there's, there's, there's a lot of, it's burgeoning, but they're starting to try to uh, recognize how important land is to be kept in use as farmland instead of just being conserved for the sake of conservation. So we have to give a little call out to the, to the, the good efforts in Glenwood world and especially their efforts around spider culture, adding value to the fruits of the Hudson Valley in the same way as in Normandy and other cider, cider regions of France, you can get from a really pretty big investment in, in, in trees a sustained and highly valuable outcome, Definitely. economic outcome. Uh, can you talk a little more about the infrastructure you guys made use of in your startup? Um, and perhaps since you're so close into potentially aspirant young farmers in the city, uh, in Brooklyn and New York, who are, who are, you know, rearing to go and career driven and motivated and capable, but somehow like paying really high rent and getting themselves all burnt out. Uh, like what kind of what kind of arguments and um, suggestions do you find yourself making to that that community that you abut against? Well, in terms of the kind of younger New York City community, you know, a, an actual really important part is we, we do a few, we, we call them workations, um, but, you know, there are a few big community work days up here with, and, and we'll get 70 people, um, a, lot of, a lot of young people from the city who are interested uh, in, in this way of life. Um, 
And I would just say that, you know, one thing about the model that we have, we knew going into it that we would have other income and other work off of the farm like a majority of farmers, but also because, you know, professionally that's interesting to us. And so it's important to us to have a scale, you know, one acre uh, of vegetables and a, a CSA um, with 50 families, which is 35 shares. Uh, and, and we're really, you know, we, we don't own a tractor. We'll borrow a tractor when we need it from uh, friends down the road. But we were really conscious of trying to keep capital costs down, uh, not go into any debt, which is a major kind of, you know, momentum these days in farming, and, and have a model that when people come out, they can imagine being able to do it. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we try to talk to them about there's not only one way to farm. As you know, there's 30 different ways. And with us, uh, even though it's two-thirds of our time, um, we're doing it in a way where we also are, are doing other work to make ends meet off the farm. So we, we want to kind of draw people into a model that seems like they can transition into that if they've been having that dream for a while. Do you want to pipe up or? Um, I, I, I think that it, the major thing that Jason said was the idea of staying small and, and manageable and not acquiring debt, which, I mean, we know historically the push is to get big or get out in farming. Um, and since there's so much interest among young people these days, and young even just meaning new to farming, um, if they come into a culture that asks for bigness, then, you know, that's what they might might venture into. But if they come into a culture of farming that, that celebrates the smallness and the, the artisanal use of, you know, hands only or, um, or just trying to, to integrate a farm life with off-farm work, um, then I think people are more likely to see it as attainable, particularly downstate, down here. Um, where land, which is the biggest commodity, is the hardest to come by. It's, it's almost impossible to get big down here because the land is all spoken for. So, and there's the there's economic rationale for more of a hybrid livelihood. Yeah. And and then there's I think um, very much in my experience as a as now a hybrid agrarian, aquarian, aquaculture chickie, uh, <laughs> and activists is how many of us in this agrarian movement are straddling our minds uh, between the physical world and those, uh, these idea worlds and between different kinds of trades and different, different uh, expertise and what, um, what a hybrid joy it is to be able to go inside when it's rainy and you know work on a grant or work on a, a text or a book or and then when it's sunny, go outside and harvest and, 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 and be able to um, have work in both places that's meaningful Definitely. and engaging. And, I mean, and that's a huge part of Yeah. I mean, I think that's what was missing, you know, obviously hundreds of years ago when everyone just farmed and there was, there was not that other outlet. And, and now, luckily, in this century and in this in the modern world, we really can have both if you want both, right? You can really diversify your work and, you know, life work to, to get a little bit of both. And I think, you know, we would all be a lot healthier and happier if we did get to venture into the physical side of things a little more. It's just that most people, especially living in, in cities or urban areas, they can't possibly see that 
you know, as, as, as an option, right? I mean, there is, there is that kind of, you know, like you were saying, Severin, I mean, the, this idea of being a hybrid human and having multi, kind of multi things you're working across is, you know, I, I think a lot of us feel the strain of being in an industrial kind of economic structure where we're just kind of supposed to do these one things. And, you know, we believe that humans are just these kind of really creative, diverse um, uh, individuals and being able to find a way to live where you're able to kind of be many things at once is is really rewarding. I mean, it can sometimes be be tougher to to juggle everything, but in other ways also feels more secure. You know, where you have you know we have like a lot of little income streams from our teaching and our farm to table dinner and our ecological citizens project and our CSA, and so it sometimes feels like. If one of them went away for any reason, we would still be able to make it, and we're not as kind of um, dependent as you are sometimes when you just get one salary in a, an economy where sometimes that job can just disappear. Well, I'm just reading a book um, that's called The Stammering Century. It's about 19th century factions of utopians and social reformers, and it's very it's very striking how much of their vision of utopia was informed by a balanced life, a, a, a virtuous life and, you know, kind of a moral economy of a community, but that there was, in so many of them, what was constant was having um, time in the field and time in the factory or time in the, um, time with, with, you know, civilizing uh, activities and time with, with the wild and, uh, anyway, that's interesting. I mean, awesome. The balance is such a huge part that I think is lacking. The balance. Yeah. I mean, we sometimes think, you know, we're 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 working on um, something called the Ecological Citizens Project, which is about sustainability and and. Uh, but you know, we we we've been talking a lot about the idea that if we're heading into a new world where, you know, there's more unemployment and structural unemployment, that you know, we could be heading into a world where we have to share work more. And maybe, you know, the idea of offering people a vision where, you know, they can find more balance in their life um, by, by, by having more time to pursue things that may not necessarily be paid, um, you know. But, but anyway, we, we talk a lot about whether or not that idea of that samurai balanced life you're talking about is part of the answer in the future to kind of moving towards a more sustainable society. Right. Well, and not to mention that it's decommodifying our time. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is hard, it's really hard to fathom that concept when you grow up you know, engulfed in it in a culture that that only commodifies it and um, tax on a dollar amount to every second that ticks by. Definitely. I mean, it's like, you know, farming, you know, a lot of farming couples, you, you have your kids around you a lot. And, um, you know, we both share childcare duties. And, you know, when you're taking care of your kid, you're not getting paid to do it. But we all know that's hard work. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so, so that idea of not, you know, work is not only something you get paid for. Yeah, man. Well, I just like to say hallelujah for the liberated, uh, liberated daddy quadrant 
<laughs> I say double hallelujah. <laughs> no wonder the dads want to run off to work on Monday morning sometimes so much. It's like sometimes that could be a relief, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> So we all have that we all have that example in our own in our own childhoods with all the um diapers that we never paid our parents to change. Right. Uh well we're our time is running short. I wanna give you a little free space. Um if you wanted to trumpet about any of your projects or upcoming workshops or heroes in your life, up favorite books, things we forgot, this is your moment. All right. Well, awesome. Uh, Severin, thank you so much. And, and we obviously know the work that Greenhorns is doing and, and, um, and, uh, and, and think it is, is, is fantastic and, and major part of this. Um, we're working on something right now that's really engaging a lot of our time called the Ecological Citizens Project, which I mentioned. And it's, uh, you can find out a little bit of information on ecologicalcitizens.org. Um, but I, I, trying to make it short, what it's about is we just see there's so much interest from people in farming, particularly young people in college and high school. And, you know, when, when you know, we often sit down, Jocelyn and I, and we're like, what is the food movement? You know, why are so many people into it? Why is it driving, you know, economic development? What, what is it? And, you know, we think that the food movement is this beginning of a rising ecological consciousness. You know, people beginning to ask themselves, you know, where, where did my food come from? Who grew it? How are they growing it? How does that affect the world and the environment? And, you know, it's this hopeful moment when people start kind of looking behind the curtains of our modern economy and seeing how things are made. And so this Ecological Citizens Project is about taking that sort of ecological consciousness and putting it to other aspects of our modern economy and life. And, and we just think that we can use this food movement as a way to push people to keep questioning how the things that they consume, the structures of their life, you know, what lies behind those things. And, and we think, you know, it's, it's this really transformative, optimistic thing that's going on that we're a part of, that Greenhorns is a part of, and so we want to see it push beyond food uh, towards making our modern way of life and our society uh, more sustainable. So. We're going to be doing retreats uh, in the fall. Um, we're working with community organizations across different issue areas to kind of look for um, a, a common uh, consensus agenda on how, to, on how to move forward. But we hope people can go to ecologicalcitizens.org um, and get involved. And we hope, you know, at some point we can get involved with the Greenhorns with this project, too. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, well, I'm not even going to add anything because I think that he, I think he did a good job. Double hurrah for the liberated <laughs> daddy, and uh, yeah, at the very least we have a we have a pretty we have a mailing list. Uh, I really enjoy this conversation with you so much, and I thank you for putting your hearts and minds into such great alignment, and and then also the bodies. Yeah, thanks that, very much, Severin. Um, awesome, thank you, Severin. Goodbye, goodbye, and goodbye, and dear Brooklyn people, those guys are so close. Get yeah. On up there. <laughs> All right, look forward to meeting. Brooklyn. Yeah, I look forward to meeting. The, if you're not in Brooklyn, well, go walk through the ocean. Come to meet us on the wharf, on the pier, at the waterfront, at the boat, and let us 
celebrate with you a performance piece that we're doing of value chain logistics via sailboat. Yes, indeed, we are sailing from Maine to Boston, carrying a cargo of organic products, all non-perishable traditional products that are adding wealth to our larger food shed and, of course, living in little bundles have to get sold. So spread the word with your sailor gossip. Come and watch the beautiful fanfare that we'll make as we process through the streets of Boston on our fleet of cherry red cargo bicycles, bringing the food from Maine that's come by boat on a bicycle to a public market, wrapped in cloth and wrapped and boxed up in traditional wooden boxes. It's, you know, it's a performance, it's art, it's a pageant, it's fanciful, <laughs> but its purpose is to get us all thinking longer and deeper about the chain of values that connects us to our land. So, awesome. Yeah. We will we'll definitely look out for the vote wow. and the, the boat, and it's just another sign that, like, you know, that's why we love farming. Farming is fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fun. Okay, bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 